So we're quite humbled to provide a platform or a stage for those tiny producers to have their wine served in a, in a riverside setting with you know, Craig's you know, incredible um, you know, culinary um, flair. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There's a lot of knowledge required to become a great sommelier, but there's also a real craft in delivering and sharing that experience with guests too. How do you harness this knowledge into a dining experience, but still bring joy to each diner as well? Jimmy Welsh is the co-owner and sommelier of Stillwater and Seven Rooms in Launceston, Tasmania. Jimmy, how are you? G'day, Huck. Doing well. Thanks for having me on board. It's great to get you on the show. Um, you're doing amazing things there in North Tasmania. How are things there? Yeah, we're doing well. So we're sort of uh, back to school, so to speak, but uh, just had a food and wine uh, festival over the weekend called Festivali, which uh, certainly brings the community together and highlights a lot of local uh, food and beverage producers and some, some entertainment. And uh, towards the back end of February, we sort of see um, uh, some sort of different traveller, a few more internationals, and then and then Minofima comes into March. So yeah, there's there's plenty plenty going on. How, how important for an establishment like yours, which is one of the the landmark in Tasmania, how important is that tourism sort of dollar for what you do? Uh, it's it's critical, uh, and not only for us, but for um, you know the local producers and you know certain certain things around the valley. I mean. To get people moving, and particularly we saw that through COVID, um, people quite often come to Tasmania and will go east, west, south, and uh, up to the northwest tip, and uh, even onto the islands, Flinders and King. So there's there's always something to do, whether it's mountain biking or bushwalking or golf, or so yeah, Tasmania certainly has uh, so much to offer, um, and food and wine is is a is a is a, is a huge part of that. You've been a part of the fabric of the hospitality scene there for for quite a while now. How, how much have you seen it change, particularly in your region, in the last sort of decade or so? Uh, yeah, there's certainly been a change towards um, people are seeking uh, high quality produce, whether it be wine or, or seafood or meat. And, and, and again, Tasmania's certainly got that to offer in spades. So. People are coming south, um, and you know we are really a, a food bowl for um, you know seafood, beef, great vegetables, exceptional Pinot Noir and sparkly wine. So we're certainly seeing, yeah, that's been the the change that you know they're, they're coming here in their droves to experience it, you know, um, in its in its in its own setting. Tell us a little bit about Stillwater. It's uh, the building itself has got quite a story, but um, tell us what you're doing there. So yeah, the building has been here since 1832, and it sort of started as a flour mill, and uh, there's been a food operation since 1984. So that was uh, the year I was born. And um, my retired my retired business partner uh, Rod Asquey was was the founder in um, in eighty four. So it started as a very um, uh, simple cafe, sort of doing doing crepes and, and cafe food. And then in in October two thousand, uh, it started as Stillwater. So it was a fine dining operation. And uh, now we're sort of forging into our our twenty fourth year. So there's certainly 
been some water under the bridge in, in in 24 years and we've seen some some floods and some we've seen some pandemics and we've seen some changes in um in, in all sorts of uh, ways of the landscape but um Stillwater is definitely a, a business that I guess the ethos from October 2000 to today hasn't changed. We we look for great produce, we look for great people, and, a, and it's a set in which um, uh, we were connected by by Kanamaluka, the river. And, you know, we're connected to our producers and we're connected to our, our community and our, and, our, and our people. I want to explore what you're doing there and particularly the wine of Tasmania and um, through your lens. Um but take us back to when you were young. Whereabouts did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? I uh, grew up in quite a rural town, somewhat close to, to Launceston. And I guess food food certainly wasn't um, uh, fine dining, so to speak. We were very much a meat and three veg sort of family and uh, we we certainly didn't uh, certainly uh, we didn't sit around in a, in a, in a culinary sense um, and, and highlight uh, you know caviar and, uh, and and champagne. But um, uh, I guess later in my career, maybe maybe uh, or the start of my career, later in my teens, I started to get quite interested in 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 wine and you know, obviously the restaurant scene. And um, let's say eighteen years later, we arrived today. What was it about wine that lured you to it to begin with? I guess wine, uh, I guess the agricultural product to bring something from the vine to the dining table, I, th- I thought was quite fascinating. So I started working in a, in, a, in a cellar door in Piper's River and I guess that was my first experience uh, with wine and from there moved into a, into a cafe in a local boutique hotel and thankfully my wife Bianca um, was working at Stillwater and, and she said, I reckon it would be a really good opportunity for you to you know, uh, take your career forward. And Rod Asquey, my my business partner and the founder uh, at the time, uh, certainly took me under his wing um, you know, 18 years ago and introduced me to the, the wine side of the business and um, took me to a lot of uh, local you know, exclusive tasting groups and, and, and vineyards and really connected me with the community. So I guess I'm really grateful to have a mentor like him uh, and particularly at that point in my career. You've won many accolades as a sommelier and a restaurateur, but um, what what what's, do you need to look for when you're young and starting out and wanting to become a sommelier? What, what's some of the tips that you have for someone going down that path? I guess education's key and um, a thirst or an appetite for, uh, for knowledge and, and the beautiful part about um, the wine sector to me is you can never know enough and and no qualification will 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 stop you so basically 20 years on i feel like i don't know anything but the day i arrived i also knew nothing there as well but i think it's one of those things is it's forever changing as well the seasons change the vintages change the trends change and um the advice i'd give myself 18 years ago is yeah basically slow down take your time and and smell the roses rather than you know you don't need to consume the information and 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 tick all the boxes immediately um over over a period of time um yeah you accumulate uh, experience and vintages and seasons and you know to look back and see stillwater one back to back to back best wineless in tasmania i almost don't believe the fact but um, it, it happened. We've been inducted the Hall of Fame three times over, and again, I don't even believe that fact either. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Um, 
tell us a little bit about Tasmanian wine. I know you're particularly passionate about the Pinot Noir, but g- give us a sense, you know, for those that haven't been there or consumed much of it, what, give us a picture of sort of what's going on there from your perspective. So the quality essentially that's coming off the vine is is, is considered to be, you know, eight to ten times the, the national average in price per tonne. And our total crush is basically 1% of the nation. So to cut a long story short, we're a, we were, we're a tiny um, uh, tiny volume but in an incredible quality. So the fair portion of that uh, sees sparkling wine and I think we're at a point of rivaling champagne in terms of quality. And then below that, we certainly see some remarkable Pinot Noirs. Uh, we see... You know, Jimmy Watson trophy winning Shiraz from, from yeah, great guys like Nick Leitzer. And we see an aromatic varietals of Riesling and some, you know, some um, national examples of Chardonnay vineyard. Someone like Joe Holliman, you know, his block of Chardonnay at Gravelly Beach, you know, I'd, I'd argue to say that's one of the greatest Chardonnay vineyards in the country. Tell us a little bit about the depth and breadth of the Pinot Noir that's in Tasmania and 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 sort of how vast the gap is between sort of the different different types that are there. Yeah, so Pinot Noir in Tassie, being a, a relatively large island, Pinot out of Piper's River looks very different to Pinot out of Jim Chatto's vineyard in the Huon Valley. So um, my, uh, my opinion, I think the regions that are doing it uh, outstanding are particularly, you know, places like the Coal River and the Huon Valley and certain parcels of the Tamar, but the vast spectrum of, of geology in Tasmania, there's certain geology down the east coast that, that sort of reflects a different style of Pinot. There's a really warm pockets of the Tamar that also see a different style and there's some cool parts of Piper's River and Labrina that sort of see that that, that cool breeze off, off Bass Strait and certainly affect the acidities in the Pinot so they have this liveliness and freshness and but the, the Huon Valley I think particularly down into that Glaciers Bay is um, they quite often say the edge of uh, viticultural possibilities and, and it certainly is there's some cool years where they're, they're definitely the last to pick, but they have this beautiful cloud cover down there that's almost like a, a sleeping bag and, and the effect of the Huon River, which uh, I think um, there's some vineyards in the Huon, which I think are some of the most beautiful vineyards in the world. We've spoken to chefs that uh, work on in restaurants on uh, at wineries um, and working with the wines that are produced there, but from your perspective, creating a wine list to match what the chef is doing is... Are you very mindful of sort of working together or sort of just finding wines that you think are great to drink? What's what's your approach with the list? Yeah, there's certainly some synergy in a marriage that is critical um, and in terms of Craig Will's culinary um, expertise and experience, he certainly delivers really powerful, um, incredible produce Effortlessly, he puts a lot of things on the plate that are, that that is can be two or three steps, and it's just in an incredible flavour. And he's 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 quite mindful of of where you know, a beautiful piece of local Lena Wallaby might end up in the dining room, and how that might look with Pinot Noir or a, a beautiful Tasmanian scallop, and how that might look with Chardonnay. So he's certainly quite sensitive to yeah, highlighting Pinot Noir, highlighting sparkling wine, and, and Chardonnay. So yeah, Craig's a very very clever guy. 
guy and um, he's been my business partner for, for 18 years and, you know, certainly, um, yeah, he's a very, very clever dude. <laughs> I like how you deflected your own skill set there in creating the wine list. Um, but tell us, tell us a little bit more about sort of your approach with wine and in the restaurant as well. There's one thing to create a great list, but the experience for the diner as well. What's your approach? I guess our approach is to be very much led by the guest. I'm, I'm very much uh, against um, the term selling to the customer. Um, I certainly want the guest to, to um, have a, a, an offering or a vast offering that certainly suits different price points and suits different palates. And I've, I've been a very big believer of if you find joy with a Barossa Shiraz and, a, and some Tasmanian oysters, then I'm not going to talk you out of that. It's my job to facilitate that and it's my job to make sure that the experience is, 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 is 10 out of 10. So we certainly shape the list in a way that's going to deliver the most joy and we shape the list in a way that's going to uh, highlight the local industry. And there's certain producers that might only make a barrel or two of, uh, of Chardonnay and, and we and 95% of the production might be sold through the restaurant. So we're quite humbled to provide a platform or a stage for those tiny producers to have their wine served in a, in a riverside setting with, you know, Craig's, you know, incredible um, you know, culinary um, flair. You've been a part of Stillwater for quite some time now. Um, how much has the restaurant and the offering changed since the first time that you stepped through the door? It certainly has. Um, the founding chef certainly had a um, very much an Asian focus on the menu. We still have certain influences from Asia, uh, but Craig's influence, I guess, let's say modern Australian or there's certain European influences. And so, yeah, the culinary path um, has sort of taken um, darts left and right, but I guess the undercurrent of great produce exceptional staff and, and and a building that sort of stood the test of time since 1832 I think um, is really the, the the bones of our place and and we and we're continually seeking to to find better produce and and better people and you know and and the building stands stands by us recently you sold black cow bistro um, tell us a little bit about how that began and and what you were doing with it so Black Owl began in December in 2008, and it was a it was a butcher shop in the middle of the city, uh, and we certainly saw an opportunity that the city needed a, a, a bistro to champion Tasmanian grass-fed uh, hormone-free beef. And on a whim, my, my business partner um, luckily got hold of Craig Will and, and, and he was based in Hobart at the time and made a quick phone call and, and Craig basically said, yep, I'm on board, packed his life up in Hobart, moved to Launceston and uh, let's say uh, 15 years later, um, we, we saw some guys that work within our business. So we had a chef who had been with us 10 years and a front-of-house guy. We sort of saw a... Um, a legacy or a, or a transition or a succession that those guys could take it uh, through its next 15 years. So there's certainly um, a point where we sort of um, we saw a, a, a transition. But the premise of the place was to, again to hero uh, great Tasmanian 
beef. And along with that, we saw lots of good seafood and, and, and other great produce. There's a lot of organic vegetable supplies where we used to champion Yorktown Organics were a big part of um, black cow's condiments or side dishes, which were a big part of it. But um, char-grilled Tasmanian beef in a tiny little butcher shop in the middle of the city was definitely a formula that, that, that worked for us for uh, 15 years and, and is doing exceptionally well now. What was it like for you, um, the sort of vastness of Stillwater and the small bistro? Do, were the, operationally, were they very different beasts to run? Very different beasts. I mean, Stillwater uh, at that time was a breakfast, lunch, dinner operation. Black Cow was just a dinner operation. Black Cow was quite a large dining room with an out, outdoor aspect. And Sorry, Stillwater was an out, outdoor and uh, a larger dining room. Black Cow, tiny little uh, intimate dining room. So, yeah, they certainly gave you two different um, uh, two different cars to drive or two different beasts. But e- for me, equally uh, as thrilling. So I'd do service at Blackout, I'd do service at Stillwater and, and, and it'd, it'd give me the exact same satisfaction and we'd see similar guests and we'd see very different guests. But at the end of the day, they both had a very similar ethos of or core of great Tasmanian produce, great Tasmanian wines served by really um, in, uh, experienced, passionate people. What was it like for you to let go of Black Cow Bistro? What sort of triggered that and was it hard for you to let go of? It was incredibly hard. It was certainly a a decision-based. Bianca and I were expanding our family and um, unfortunately we lost that little guy and uh, it was definitely a a, a choice to slow down and... um, I guess, consolidate our, our workload or our family. And uh, it, 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 was, it was very hard, but we know the place is in great hands and, and that those guys down there now are doing an exceptional job and, and the ethos is, is almost the same, yeah, still great beef um, and, yeah, great people. You've uh, had an incredibly challenging couple of years. What, what, what's helped you move forward with the challenges that you've had? Oh, I guess my wife Bianca, she's quite an incredible person, and uh, you know it's still still struggle today. Our, our little guy would have turned two uh, a week or two ago, and um, you know there wouldn't be a day go by where I don't I, I don't think about him, and 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 grief and trauma uh, still a big part of my personality, or my struggle, and um, I guess I'm lucky to have my wife Bianca that's there. Uh, Every day, and you know, we've got a beautiful family. I've got a, I've got a seven-year-old, and we've got a, a daughter that's six months. So, we're eternally grateful for our, our family. And but in terms of the challenges that's come across our, our, our desk, it, no one ever maps their life out to sort of see challenges like this. And that they certainly, um, they certainly change your fibre. Uh, but that there's something that we grow from. Uh, as you know, we've had Bianca on the show as well quite a few times, and she's she's a real powerhouse. Um, and both of you together make one of the great um, duos in hospitality in Australia. What's it like working together and getting that balance right? Uh, in the early years, was quite challenging because you certainly can't have have two people steering the one ship. And um, I, I learnt quickly to uh, to hop out of her way. And, and <laughs> uh, she she quite often says that that's the reason why we had two restaurants. Because, but I guess yeah, let's say eighteen years later, um, you know, she's a joy to live with. She's a joy to work with. And 
some of the things she does in a in a twenty four hour period, I'm, I'm still in awe with. You know, there's certainly I see her at midnight and one a.m. still still tapping away on the keyboard or um or, or doing a, doing certain things for certain different boards or, or organisations and um uh yeah, she's an incredible human being. Um, you've uh, been an, an incredible uh, sommelier and had an incredible impact on the hospitality scene in uh, Launceston and also Hobart. Um, what's Take us on a tour sort of uh, through your eyes. Have you been through any great trips to wineries or regions that you think sort of have, have helped shape you as a sommelier? For sure, yeah. In 2015, I was I was fortunate enough to be part of the Len Evans tutorial, so that was certainly a big part of my uh, wine journey. Uh, and then, uh, you know, to spend a week in the Hunter with 12 other scholars and, and to see such an incredible collection of wines, it's certainly something that, again, I, I use as a reference all the time and to, to be a part of only maybe 200 or 220 scholars over the past 20 years is quite a, quite a privilege and it's certainly something that, yeah, has shaped my career. In terms of travel, we certainly spend a little bit of time in Champagne and, and, and Burgundy, and, and we definitely fell in love with, with Barolo. When we visited there, we, we fell in love with it so much that we named our, our first guy Giacomo out of Giacomo Conterno. And uh, it's certainly, um, yeah, I, I think it's critical to spend time if you're fortunate enough to in those regions, because they certainly give you a sense of place and the times that we've travelled to New Zealand and been to Central Otago and you sort of see some vineyards and they certainly resonate with you to go, wow, these are the reasons why these wines are so remarkable and they certainly etch a, a neural pathway in you to go, you know, I know that Champagne is, you know, so beautiful because of this and I know that Barolo is, you know, remarkable of his rolling hills and this, 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 history you've um restructured um not only sort of your own sort of personal life but also the structure of the businesses as well to give you a better balance um what's the next couple of years looking like for you do you have any sort of plans uh, where you want to take still water or for other other opportunities as well uh, we're always only as good as our last fight so to speak so we're always working on just the next service and still water is one of those restaurants that um you know i, I think to, to to work towards our 25th year is is certainly a, a testament in terms of restaurants and we talk about dog years and you know i think restaurant years are dog years so we sort of to, to be forging ahead to that 175 year dog year mark um is certainly something that we really strive towards and and i think it's on, on a daily basis where we're always looking at how can we do things better and um, you know th this beautiful building just you know and just as I sort of said stands by us and you know um, we're always looking for opportunities so we're always sort of got our peripheral vision um, but yeah there's certainly uh, certainly to have our accommodation above us is, is a beautiful uh, addition to to the restaurant and you know to spend time with guests over a you know, multiple days them staying with us is certainly a, an enrichment to us. We normally get to spend a couple of hours with guests that are just dining with us, but we certainly see some wonderful guests that are with us, you know, two and three days. So you certainly develop a, a deeper connection and you can cer certainly give them a, a greater experience. Well, um, your influence and impact has been extraordinary, Jimmy. Um, what do you love about what you do? It's got to be the, the, the people and the, and the connection. Uh, particularly the the wine industry, you know, there's 
there's a there's a cohort of winemakers over Tassie, which you know I'd take a bullet for, and then they're the likes of you know Joe Holliman, Peter Dredge, Fran and Shane. You know, there's there's certainly Nick Glater. There's certainly people in in and around us that um, have become part of our family. And you know, there's certainly you know throughout when we time we lost Herb. You know, Peter Dredge was the first guy to call up and say, you know, we're raising funds for for baby loss. And Peter Dredge said, here's a heap of magnums. I want you to auction them. You know, I want you know. I want to help out the baby loss world. And, you know, there's certainly people that pull their sleeves up. You know, there's the Joe Hollimans that gave our staff jobs when we, when we started COVID and, and no one had income. So Joe employed them in the vineyard and in the winery. So there's certainly that sense of community, which, um, you know, it really fills my cup. Well, uh, Jimmy, uh, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Will do. Thanks, Huck. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.